Welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. These are crazy times in our world. Face masks, riots, racial tensions, and the list goes on. We're facing struggles right now that no one could have foreseen. So many are hurting right now, and so many are without hope. No matter who you are or what you're facing today, one thing is for certain. Our society needs peace now more than ever. That's why we're doing a series simply titled Peace. Today is part 15 of our series titled Prayer Plus Thanksgiving Equals Inexplicable Peace, and it starts right now. Good morning. Thank you guys for allowing us to have a couple of weeks off uh, in the, the process of us moving, downsizing from the house we've been in for 17, almost 17 years and uh, moving to a uh, cabin half the size. Uh, we've had our hands uh, full for two weeks, or well, really for two months, getting ready to go and everything. I would also want to thank our men's ministry. I mean, you guys did a great job coming in and helping us load up to move and, and then helping us unload. Uh, once we got up there and if it hadn't been for that, uh, I, I don't know if we would have got moved or not. So uh, I, I want to thank all of our men's ministry for uh, uh, the help that you gave us up there. Uh, also, during this interim time while I've been gone, I found out something strategically important that I was unaware of before. Uh, because Beck and me stopped uh, at, at Cheeks Market there at Cheeks Crossroad to eat. And I was looking through their T-shirts, and uh, they had one on the Blue Ridge Parkway, but I found out that Cheeks Crossroad is just as important landmark as Boone, North Carolina. So, you know, Boone's this way, and Cheeks Crossroad's that way. So I uh, wasn't aware of that, and I thought, oh, I'm going to buy that and wear it. Uh, and all. But uh, it's good to, good to have you with us today. Turn your Bible uh, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Uh, I will read there in just a moment, starting at verse 4, and we'll go through verse 9 today. Uh, just to give you a little bit of a, a background, Kylie, before we uh, start going through that scripture, I want you to understand something, and, and you may push back a little bit, but think about this. You, you do not have to allow the circumstances in your life to rob you of joy and peace. You don't have to allow the circumstances in, in your life, in your world, to rob you of joy and peace. If anybody had cause or reason to uh, have anxiety and worry in his life, it would have been the Apostle Paul at the time he's writing this letter to the Philippians. Uh, we don't know why they were having problems, but there were two people in the church at Philippi that Paul was close to that were having conflict and friction with each other. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why. It just tells us they were. And uh, Paul was probably upset about that because he couldn't be there with them to help them. And, and also, the friction that these two believers were having were spilling over into the church at Philippi. So it was causing trouble in the church. If you look around in Philippians chapter 1, you'll see Paul is also concerned about some friction that was happening, some things happening in the church of Rome. So like anyone that had been a, a church planted pastor, uh, he naturally had a concern for these churches, the church at Philippi, uh, the church at Rome, because uh, he had been central, used by God to, to get those churches going. Add to that, at the time Paul's writing this letter, he's in prison. <laughs> so he had reason to worry. He had reason to have his peace interrupted. 
and his joy stolen from him. Not only is he in prison, he's chained to a centurion guard, and he's pretty much on what we would call death row in this day and time. So he's concerned about whether he is going to lose his life. So that's the background to what Paul is saying. If anyone had reason to worry, he did. And yet instead of him writing a a sob letter uh, about his own personal worry, instead he writes some things to us telling us how to have joy and peace in our lives regardless of what's taking place in our world. Look with me at those verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I'm going to bring the message title back up because I know it's going to be a little bit different, you know, maybe a lot different. It's almost like an equation. And maybe you'll understand it more as we go through this passage of Scripture this morning. But here's the title of the message today. Rejoicing plus prayer plus thanksgiving plus correct thinking plus godly influence equals this peace that passes all understanding. Inexplicable peace is what I've called it. You, you can find all of those things. I want you to notice five things with me this morning that can help us have more peace in our lives. That can help us have this peace that surpasses all understanding that Paul writes about here, or as my title says, can help us have inexplicable peace. Here, here's number one. Rejoicing always helps give you a focus towards peace. Rejoicing always kind of gives you a bent in that direction. It helps you to lean toward peace if we'll rejoice always. In verse 4, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Guys, my, my argument is this, and I think this argument that Paul is given here under divine inspiration. If we will rejoice in the Lord more, it will change our focus in life. What, what we tend to do in our flesh is that when negative things are happening, whether it be COVID-19 or the economy or politics or whatever it is you hear on TV, we, we tend to focus on the very thing that's robbing our joy. We, we tend to focus on the very thing that's robbing our peace. Instead of doing that, we need to learn to focus on the Lord. We, we need to learn to rejoice in the Lord Always, the word rejoice means to be calmly happy or well off. So if we'll change our focus away from whatever's robbing us of peace and robbing us of joy, and if we'll change our focus from whatever is worrying us, if we'll change our focus to the Lord and rejoice in Him, Paul said always, I, I just argue we'll experience more peace in my life. Don't you think you would if you'd experience more, if you'd rejoice more in the Lord? If you'd have your focus more in that direction? By the way, 
Just in case someone pushes against that, Paul saying, rejoice in the Lord always. It's easy to push against that, isn't it? I mean, I, when I was preparing for this message or even reminding myself after I put the message together that I'm preaching it today. I was joking around with my family last night when we were having a, a meal together. And I said, well, I've got to talk about, you know, rejoicing uh, in the Lord always. Uh, and, and I've been over there with my head under a toilet trying to fix the toilet in the cabin we moved into. <laughs> so you rejoice in the Lord when you're fixing a toilet. Rejoice in the Lord when this is happening, when that's taking place in your life. Rejoice in the Lord. It's easy to push back against that. Paul, how can you have the audacity to say we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord always? Well, in case you want to push back against that, will you notice that Paul anticipated, I think, that people might push back against it? (laughs) And he said, again, I will say rejoice. He he gives a double emphasis on the importance of our rejoicing in, in the Lord. When, when he tells us to rejoice always, it, it, the, the word in the Greek literally means every when at all times. So I want to take you back to what I told you about Paul a moment ago. Paul at this moment is in prison. Paul at this moment is chained to a centurion guard. Paul at this moment is worried about his life. And yet that same Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. What's our excuse? I'm not in prison. I'm not worried about losing my life right now. What's what's your excuse? That you don't rejoice in the Lord always. Second thing I want you to see is this. Relying upon prayer to the God who is present also provides peace. Relying upon prayer to the God who is present provides peace. Uh, Look at verse 5. I'm going to read the first part of verse 6. We'll grab the rest of verse 6 in a moment. But, But he said there, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. And he's going to say in supplication and thanksgiving. We'll grab that in a moment. But right now, I just want you to focus on the fact that he's saying it's reasonable for us to recognize the Lord is at hand as believers. And instead of being anxious about anything going on in our lives, what we ought to do is take everything and everything. We ought to take it to God in prayer. Let me ask you a question. Do you not think it's a reasonable thing for us to do as Christians to pray? Is that not reasonable? Is it not reasonable, no matter what you're facing, to realize the Lord's at hand, the Lord's available, the Lord's present? And, and, and to call out to Him in, in prayer, it's a reasonable thing to do. The, the Lord's not distant. The Lord's available. The Lord's at hand. I mean, he, he cares about you. He's right there. And you can you call out to him just like you're talking to a friend. You can pour your heart out to him. And he tells us that we need to, to, to do that. The, the appropriate thing for us to do, guys, the word reasonableness or moderation, depending on your translation, literally means appropriate. So the appropriate thing, you can say it like this, the appropriate thing for you and I to do is to pray. Instead of being filled with anxiety instead of being filled with worry, instead of letting the things of the world right now rob us of peace and joy, the appropriate thing we ought to do is pray. We need, we need to be that kind of Christian, the kind of Christian who is known. He said, let your reasonless be known. The kind of Christian who is known. And the tense there for known in the Greek means absolutely known. 
We need to be the kind of Christian who's absolutely known by other people that what you and I do is a reasonable thing. We turn to God in prayer. Instead of being so distracted and torn apart and frantic about what's going on in our world, we ought to be known as the kind of Christian that just turns to God and prays. And we're to pray to this God that's at hand. Now, some people believe that Paul's talking about the second coming of Christ. And, and I'm not going to deny that. That may be included in what he's saying. I believe he's coming again, don't you? And, and the more I listen to the news and look around our world, I, I think he, he could be at hand. Amen? And that may be what Paul is saying. But in context of what's being said here, I know he's saying this. He, he's saying that we need to pray. The reasonable thing for us to do is pray because God is present. God is available. God is there for us. And we need to, we need to pray to him instead of being anxious. He said, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. The word he uses for anxious means to be pulled in different directions. In other words, you're, it's like you're having to be careful with what you say and what you do because you're being pulled this way and being pulled that way. A lot of you might have felt like that over the last little while, everything that's been going on. We're being pulled this way and that way by our worries. The root word for anxiety means to be distracted. So guys, I think the Apostle Paul's telling us this. Instead of allowing our circumstances to pull us this way and that way, the things going on in our lives or the things going on in our world, instead of having uh, anxiety, and, and instead of allowing ourselves to become distracted, instead of having to worry and take thought about anything, what we ought to do is pray about everything. That's what Paul's telling us to do because God is at hand. When, when he says in everything... We're to pray in everything. The word in there means in a fixed position. When we're praying to God about everything, when we're relying upon him, when we're expecting him to move as the God who's at hand, such praying and relying upon God provides peace in your life because you're trusting in him. You're, you're focused upon him instead of the, the circumstances of the world. Third thing I want you to see is this. Confident, thankful prayer given to God generates this inexplicable peace that we're talking about that will in turn guard your heart and your mind. Let me pick back up in verse 6 and read the, verse of, the rest of verse 6 and verse 7. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, that's what I'm calling inexplicable peace, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, I think what Paul's telling us to do is to pray worshipful, confident prayer. And I, you'll understand why I'm saying that in a moment. Making our petitions known to God with an attitude of thanksgiving. And if you and I will offer, make it a habit in our lives to offer Worshipful prayer, adoring prayer to God, and offer our petitions to God with gratitude and thanksgiving. We're going to experience more peace in our lives. The, the word that he uses for prayer uh, it is a kind of a, a special word about prayer. It's not just meaning pray, you know, like, you know, say you're blessing at the table or anything. The, the word that he uses for prayer here means adoration or worship. So, so Paul is saying we need to pray 
with adoration or worship. We need to pray worshiping God and giving him adoration. It's the kind of prayer where we're, we're just thanking God for who he is. We're just extolling God for who he is. We're lifting God up for who he is. It's not the kind of prayer where we're just saying, God, I need this, need this, need that, need this. No, it's you taking time in prayer to, to worship God, to, to, to lift God up in prayer. Then he used the word supplication. That's your petition. That's your asking God. By the way, did you realize the Bible teaches God knows what you need before you ask him? That's what it says. So ask him. Don't be afraid to ask him. He already knows what's on your heart. He already knows what's on your mind. Ask him. You, you need to pray that type of prayer. You need to start out with worship in your prayer, and then you need to offer that supplication, bring your request to him. But notice he says, do it with thanksgiving. That means you're offering prayer that's accompanied with gratitude or grateful language toward God. So in, there might be a good model here for, for prayer for us. Oh, it's not a complete model. It's not a full model. But, but maybe think about using this model in your prayer life. A lot of people start out praying to God just when they need something. And then people will wonder, well, how in the world can I hear about people praying for hours and stuff like that? And, you know, I can sit and ask God for everything that I can think of that I need or is going on in my life in five minutes. That's because prayer needs to be more than a, than a request list. <laughs> prayer, prayer is not us just every time we want to sit in Santa Claus' lap and ask him for something. We, we need to start out with that first type of prayer I mentioned a moment ago. Start out in your prayer worshiping God, adoring God. Spend some time thanking God just for who he is. Lift him up. Spend that time in, in prayer. And then move from that to your supplication. Move from that to your request. But even when you're making the request, make the request with a grateful heart. Thankful for what he's done for you. You ever done something for somebody and they didn't show you any gratitude at all? And they come back and they ask you to do something else and, and you're kind of thinking in the back of your mind, but, but you, you, you didn't even act like I did anything for you before. It kind of affects the way you think, doesn't it? Now, I know God's higher than us, and his ways are, are greater than us. I understand that his thoughts are higher than us, but I still think God appreciates us being thankful when we come to him in prayer. Thanking him for what he's done for us already. Now, guys, here's another way to look at that also. To pray to God, worshipful prayer, making your petition unto him with thanksgiving, I suggest also you maybe look at it like this. We pray so confidently because God's available. Amen? God's at hand. We pray to God with so much confidence that we're thanking him as though he's already answered the prayer. <laughs> we're thanking him for whatever we brought before him. Oh, he may not move in our timeline. He may not move and answer the prayer when we want him to pray, but we need to come before God with worshipful prayer, bringing our requests to him, and then pray in such a way that we're confident that God's actually going to do something and thank him in advance for what he's going to do. That's another way we can, can look at that. Pray as though the God who's at hand has already moved. And I want you to notice the results of this kind of prayer. Look what he said in verse 7. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
The word for peace is the word we've seen several times in this series on peace. We, we've got one more Sunday in this series on peace. Uh, and then the Sunday after that, we're going to have a Baptist Men's Day. And a Sunday after that, we're going to start a new series uh, talking about righteousness. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, as we think about peace, a lot of times the word peace means this. It means brought back together with. And that's what the word peace is here. We've been brought back together to God even though we were lost sinners, we've been brought back together through Christ. We've been joined back together with God. That's a word for peace that's used here. So he, he's saying that peace of knowing you've been joined back together with God through Christ is, in, and the word also means a superior or an excelling peace. He, he said that type of peace surpasses all understanding. And the word for surpass literally means to hold oneself up above. It is what the phrase means in the Greek. The word means in the Greek. And guys, it gives me this thought. It gives me this thought that just maybe we're to hold ourselves up above the peace of God. We're looking down upon the peace of God. We're understanding the available peace of God. We're coming to God with worshipable prayer. We're letting our petitions known to him. We're thanking him in prayer. And then we're looking down upon this great peace of God that's available, that surpasses all understanding. And as we look down upon that great peace of God, man, it almost takes our breath. It kind of blows our mind because of that, that, that peace of, of God that's, that's available to us. This peace of God that is so beyond understanding. This peace of God that, that, that fits this word inexplicable that I'm using today. That, this peace of God, Paul says, will guard your heart and guard your mind. The word he used for guard literally means to be a watcher. In the Greek, to mount up. A guard is a centennial or to get a garrison, a bunch of troops together. It means to put a guard at the gate. It means to hem in and protect. So think about that for a minute. <laughs> Pray in worshipful, adoring prayers to God. Making our petitions known to God. With an attitude and a predetermined outlook of thanksgiving. Will result in God's inexplicable peace. Guarding our hearts and our minds like a garrison of soldiers. Guarding our hearts and our minds like a guard posted at the, at the gate. The word heart speaks of our emotions and our feelings, the very center of who we are. The word that he used for minds means our perception, our purpose, our, our, our intellect, our, our disposition even in life, our, our outlook in life. He, he's telling us if we will pray those worshipful prayers, adoring God, and bring our requests to God with thanksgiving, that will help guard our mind and our hearts against whatever's going on in our world, and we can experience peace. That peace of God guards our hearts and our minds. Remember what I said earlier about Paul? He's writing this in prison. He's writing this, most theologians believe, chained to a centurion soldier. You know, I'm not so sure that Paul, as he writes this, isn't doing an analogy in his own mind. And he's looking over at this soldier that's chained to him. And that soldier is supposed to be their guard in Paul. And I can imagine Paul looking over there toward this soldier and thinking to himself, I'm chained to you. You think you're guarding me. But what's really guarding me is a peace of God that passes all understanding. What's really guarding my heart and my mind is the peace of God. 
Maybe he saw it as an analogy like this. He, he recognized that soldier that was chained to him was watching him, you know, 24-7. They'd have a change of guard, but they were watching Paul all the time. And in Paul's mind, he said, you know what? The peace of God watches me like that. The peace of God guards my mind like that. The peace of God guards my, my heart in that way. Fourth thing I want you to see is this this morning. Thinking on correct things also helps provide peace to us. Thinking on correct things. Look what he says in verse 8. Finally, brothers, <clears throat> whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I want to tell you up front, I don't have time to do what Lynn Parsons wants to do. Because Lynn Parsons, by his nature, wants to tell you what every one of his words means. <laughs> But I, I, I can't do that this morning. I want you to get the main thought, though. Paul, in all that he said, there's more or less saying this. Think right thoughts. Think the right thoughts. Keep your mind upon right things. Instead of keeping your mind focused upon the wrong things and the worldly things, think right thoughts. The, the word think means to take an inventory of. And if you've ever worked or you've been in a store where an inventory's taking place, an inventory it isn't like a quick thought. That's not what he's saying, like a, a passing thought. An inventory is you're going through the shelves and you're counting the items that are there and you're entering that into a little computer the way they do it in this day and time. And that ledgers it all up to where you've got an inventory of what's there. That's the, the, the thought that Paul's given us here. We're, we're to take an inventory of these things. Not just quickly think about these things, but we're to take an inventory of right things. Whatever is true, we're to take an inventory of that and think about it. Whatever is honorable, we're to take an inventory of honorable things and, and focus upon those things. Whatever is just or right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely from God's perspective, whatever is commendable from God's perspective, if there's anything that is excellent from God's perspective, if there's anything worthy of praise from God's perspective, we need to take an inventory of those things and we need to think about those things, focus on those things. You see, if we fail to think about those things, you're going to have less peace in your life. As a believer, if you're a Christian and you're constantly sitting around thinking about the things of the world, thinking about wrong things, thinking about temptation, thinking about things you, you shouldn't have your mind on, it's going to rob you of joy and peace in your life. Because guilt is going to be there and set in upon you. But if we will focus upon the things God wants us to focus upon, if we'll think about God's things, instead of worldly things, we can experience a greater degree of peace. We, we saw this verse a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I guess. Isaiah 26, 3 says this, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. We need to think about the things God wants us to think about. We need to keep our mind stayed upon him and the God of peace will be with us. Last thing I want you to notice is this today that can help bring peace to your life. Practicing received godly influence or mentorship brings peace. Look what he said in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. 
Look at that again. What you've learned, what you've received, what you've heard, what you've seen. You see what Paul wrote there? In me. Wouldn't you have the confidence that you could write a letter to a group of believers and say, what you have learned from me, what you have received from me, what you've heard and seen in me, practice those things? That, that, that you have the confidence that you've been enough of a godly influence, enough of a, of, of a godly mentor to somebody else, you can tell them, practice these things, do these things. That's what Paul does here under divine inspiration. And I want you to notice also what he's doing. He just talked about right thinking. Think upon these things. Now he's talking about right living. He's connecting our thoughts with our actions. In other words, guys, what we believe and what we think needs to manifest itself in your life. It's not enough for you to learn something and know something and be taught something and see something and have somebody mentor to you. If all it is is something you follow way back here and you never use it. Paul is telling us we need to use it. We need to practice the, 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 the godly mentorship that we've had from other people. Paul is writing to these believers in Philippi, and he had tried to mentor them and teach them and disciple them. And he's saying, hey, the stuff you've seen me do, the stuff I've taught you, the stuff you've heard from me, practice those things, do those things. There's not enough just to know about them. And guys, the same thing is true for us. Just knowing this... And never ever letting it be alive in your life is not enough. Just knowing what the Bible says and never using what the Bible says is not enough. We, we need to practice what it says. We need to apply it to our lives. We need to believe what we believe and what we think needs to manifest itself in our actions. Paul's telling these believers in Philippi what they've learned, what they've received, what they've heard, what they've seen practice those things. What they've learned means to learn in any way possible. What they've received means they, they've associated themselves to it. It even means to assume an office. What they've heard, they've heard and they've understood it is what the word means. What they've seen, not just to take a glance at something, what they've seen in Paul's life, to see and know. He said, what you've seen in a fixed position in me, Paul was living these things in such a way it was like it was a repeated thing, a fixed position in his life. He said, what you've seen in me, practice these things. The word practice, guess what it means? Practice. It means to do something repeatedly and habitually. How many of you ever been on a sports team? You ever been on a sports team of some type? Why did they have you go to practice? So you could hopefully develop the skills that you needed to play whatever the sport was. If you've been around day three very long, you've heard me use this illustration before. When Jared was in the sixth grade, he came home one day and he said he wanted to take band the next year. And he said, I want to play the trombone. And I'm thinking, why under heaven would you want to play the trombone? I mean, talk to me first, son, about these things. I would have said, play the saxophone or something that I would have enjoyed. I asked him why. I said, why do you want to play the trombone? You know, because a guy from the music center showed up in the classroom and he made the trombone sound like a NASCAR. 
So he starts taking trombone. Two houses down the street from us, there's a young guy that was also his age that started taking trumpet in band. Every dog and cat in the neighborhood was going crazy. <laughs> because of the sounds that was coming out of that trombone and that trumpet to start with. But you know what? He kept practicing and he kept practicing. He eventually made first chair in high school. First chair in jazz band. Got a scholarship to begin with because of a stupid trombone and NASCAR sound. But he practiced it. You, you get the point that I'm making? If you want to be a good trombone player, you've got to practice. If you want to be a good ball player, you've got to practice. If you want to be a good Christian, you've got to practice what you believe. What other people have modeled for you where other people have discipled you. It's not information for your head. It, it, it's a guideline for your life. You, you need to use it in your, in your life. It's not enough just to learn something, just to receive something, just to, to hear something or see something. We're to practice the godly influence and mentorship that we've received from others. Guys, we, we can't separate our inward attitude from our outward actions. If we believe something, we're to practice it in our lives. I am sick and tired of a culture that wants to tell us it's okay for a politician to live one way in his private life and one way in his public life. It's okay for a rock star to do that or a movie star to do that as those, those two things are separate. That is a lie from hell. That's a lie from the devil. You can't separate your inward life and your outward life. What you believe inside needs to manifest itself outside from the Christian standpoint. By doing so, we can have more peace in our life. If we're not doing that, if we're not practicing the things we know we're supposed to practice, instead of peace, you're going to have guilt and regret and trouble hit your life because you're not practicing what you know you should. We'll be conflicted in our hearts and our minds because we're outside of the will of, of God. If we desire the God of peace to be with us, in the God of peace to God our hearts and our, in our minds, we need to practice what we know is right. Guys, to be honest with you, I think this is true. Having the peace of God is one test. It's a litmus test whether you're in the will of God or not. I've had people for years and years when I've been in the ministry will come and say, well, how do I know if something is God's will? I mean, I, literally, I've had people ask me that. How do I know if something is God's will? How about read this? Okay. Huh? Is that a good step? Read this. <laughs> you trust your Christ as your Savior. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. If you don't have peace about something, guess what? It's probably not God's will. If you don't have peace about it, if you're not comfortable about it, if we are living out, I want you to listen to this statement. I'm going to read it twice probably to work for you to be sure you get it. If we are living out God's will for our lives, the peace of God will be with us because the God of peace is influencing, is influencing our lives. Does that make sense to you? Think about it again. If we are living out God's will for our lives, the peace of God will be with us because the God of peace is influencing our 
lives. When we disobey him, we lose peace. If we'll practice the things we've been taught, the things we've been told, the things that have been mentored for us, we can, we can increase the peace that we have in life. Think about, I used a sports illustration a minute ago, think about peace like this. Think about peace being the umpire that calls you out. In sports, if you, know, if, if, if you weren't safe there, or you're tagged at the back or whatever, the, the umpire calls you out. When you're outside of God's will, the peace of God calls you out because you're not experiencing God's peace in, in your heart. Let me revisit the equation today, the title. Rejoicing plus prayer plus thanksgiving plus correct thinking plus godly influence equals that peace that passes all understanding. Equals inexplicable peace. Do you see that? Do you get the title now? Do you get the outline? If we will rejoice always, no matter what we're facing, we can experience, better experience God's peace in our lives. If we will pray always about everything to the God who's at hand, the God that's available, greater peace will be ours. If we will pray with an attitude of thanksgiving and gratitude toward God, His peace that passes all understanding, His unexplainable peace, His inexplicable peace will guard our emotions and our thoughts. If we will think correctly about the right things that God wants us to think about, the things that God desires us to think about, that will result in more peace in our lives. If we will practice the godly influence we've learned, received, heard, and seen, by practicing those things, by living out what we believe, we will experience a greater peace from God, and the God of peace will be with us. It makes sense? I think it's what Paul just told us. But none of that matters. If you don't know Christ as your Savior. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You can't take this outline and use it and think, I'm going to generate more peace for myself. Not without you knowing Christ as Savior. If you want real peace in your life, you have to trust in the Prince of Peace. If you want real peace in your life, you have to agree with God and say, God, I agree with you. I am a sinner. I'm messed up. I'm screwed up. I can't save myself. I can't fix myself. I agree that I am what you say about me, that I am lost in sin. And then you trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You believe that Jesus, once and forever, paid for all sin on the cross. And you trust in that as your only hope and as your only chance. And then, then, after you trust in Christ as your Savior, take this equation and go live it out in your life. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we allow our our culture or the news or circumstances to so distract us that we're filled with anxiety, that we allow joy and peace to be robbed from our lives. Father, help us to apply these words that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write. God, help us to rejoice always, no matter what we're facing. God, help us to pray worshipful prayers. Prayers adoring you. Then pray with our request that we bring to you. We trust you, the God at hand, the present God, to help us. God, help us to come before you with gratitude and pray 
with thanksgiving. God, help us to have right thoughts, your thoughts. God, we pray for your peace to guard our hearts and guard our minds. Father, help us to practice what we say we believe. Help us to practice the the godly influence other people have had upon our lives. Because you tell us the God of peace will be with us. Father, if there's someone this morning that doesn't know Christ as Savior, we pray you draw that person to to yourself. Help them right now to admit that they're lost, to admit they can't save themselves, and give them the faith they need to trust in Jesus and Him alone for their salvation. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor John and Daryl will both be up here at the, the front. If you need to come to one of us, one of us to pray with you, invite you to do so. If you need just to come kneel and pray, or maybe you just need to stand where you are and say, God, help me to help me to live out this equation. Help me to do those things so I can have more peace. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior, please, please come and let us know that so we can help lead you through that more, pray with you more about receiving Christ as Savior. Are you in need of greater peace in your life? It is possible, and it starts with being at peace with God. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances, and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.